Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had, and it's always fun with uh, being together as families. And uh, let me invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word. You can turn with me to the book of Haggai. Uh, yet again, we are in Haggai chapter 2 this morning, and so if you are uh, turning in your Bible there, you can uh, go to Matthew, and if you're looking for it, you can back up. You'll see Malachi. You can back up again. You'll see Zechariah. You can back up one more time, and you'll find Haggai. Uh, If you want to use a pew Bible out of the pew rack in front of you, you can grab that and turn to page 839 and save yourself all that trouble. So, uh, we are thinking about living for God's glory as equipped and engaged uh, people for Christ. And uh, as we think, have seen God at work in in the midst of how He has revealed Himself here in the book of Haggai, and we have seen how there is really no more time for delay is really where we started, and then thinking about, you know, walking with Christ and obeying Him and really understanding the glory of what He's doing. And it's interesting, you, you get a little far down the course and you realize quite quickly we need God to stir in our hearts uh, an ever-deepening perseverance and an ever-deepening trust. Because for all of us, we have had times where we could look back and we would even use the phrase, remember when, right? Remember when, and then we've got some story that goes right along with that. And usually, it's a story that we appreciate, that we like, that we have some sort of nostalgic fondness for. And that's not a bad thing. And we need to look back and remember the times when God has been faithful and displayed the splendor of His glory in ways that we never expected and certainly still celebrate. But we ought also to see that that should not only stir us for thankfulness in the past, but for perseverance and trust in the present and in the future. So grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 9 together. So read with me if you will. Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts hosts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what an amazing passage of Scripture you have given us here today. Stir our hearts to glorify you with perseverance and trust. Father, help us to see not only the necessity of it, but Father, help us to see that you are leading us and guiding us to be equipped with your strength, that we may engage with your strength as well. God, teach us, humble us, that we would be ever increasingly more reliant upon you. 
And Lord, we ask it all in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we come back into this text of Scripture, we're given another one of these date references, right? You think back across the context, we talked about there was the exile, and now they've returned from exile, and they've started work on the temple. They started work on it, and then they paused it because of all the things that were going on in their own lives, and so God has called them to really prioritize the glory of the Lord, and so they have resumed the work. They've gotten busy. They've heard the word of the Lord. No more delays, and they're starting to obey because they understand the glory of God, and then we're told in verse 1, in the seventh month on the 21st day of the month, Or another way we could say that is on October 17th, 520 B.C. And interestingly enough, this is no ordinary date for the people of Israel. This is actually the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. That the Feast of Tabernacles was a time where the people of the Lord were celebrating the provision of God together, where they would gather in mass at the temple to celebrate, to offer sacrifices, to give thanks, that this would be something, something like high attendance day at the temple. People would be there from all over the place. You would have more people than normal, and they would come, and they would come along to see, well, how are things progressing along? They would come to look at the temple and say, I wonder how, thing, how the construction process is taking place. And as always happens when you get a gathering of people together with all sorts of nostalgic opinions in their minds, the conversations get interesting, don't they? And so as this mass of people has gathered together, The word of the Lord comes by the hand of Haggai the prophet. God speaks and the message is hand-delivered to Zerubbabel, the governor, speaking to the civil leadership, to Joshua, the high priest, speaking to the religious leadership, to all the remnant of the people, those who have gathered together in worship. And he has said, and really it starts off with this interesting question, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? That there would have been people that were present at that moment who had seen Solomon's temple, who had survived the entirety of the exile, had been removed from the land, had come back with great celebration, who remembered all of the ornate detail, who remembered all of the gold, who remembered all of the carving, all of the high dollar cedar walls and gold overlay, all of the work that took seven years for the best craftsmen in the world to complete, all that awe-inspiring, all that amazing detail, all of that to remember, all of the heyday of yesteryear. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? And for us, we we can see how this is clearly applied within the worship of God's people and lives for His glory, of of thinking of lives for worship. We We have special memories where we can look back and say, remember when? Remember when people were just stirred for worship? Remember that moment or that event that took place where God's Spirit just convicted people and there was just crying out to the Lord and there was joy in the Lord and all these things and there's nothing wrong with good memories. God is not criticizing people or calling people to task because they have good memories of what He has done in the past. We ought to remember those things. The problem comes when the past clouds our perception of the present and the future. 
that we can often find ourselves with this false dichotomy of am I going to mourn the past or be faithful in the present and in the future? Because not only does God ask, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? He even asks them for their opinion. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? We are all prone to say they don't make them like they used to. We remember the cars of our youth, and then we look at the cars now, and we're like, don't make them like they used to. We look at appliances back in the day, and you look at appliances now, and you're like, don't make them like they used to. Sometimes we look at one another, and we look at them, and we're like, don't make them like they used to. We're all prone to say these things, aren't we? And the danger is that we would say this about the work of the Lord, about His church, about His people, about what He's doing. And that we get obsessed in some form of remembering the good old days and then thinking, well, how do I see it now? Because many had come to Jerusalem at this point and they were not impressed. They were looking at the temple with this sort of smirk on their face and this sort of half-hearted smile and be like, nice try, guys. They were looking at all of what was going on around them and they were like, I guess it's okay, right? It'll do. Does this ha- ever happen within the church now? Within the past couple of weeks, I've heard from somebody specifically who's no longer involved in this church, hasn't been in a long time, but who has pulled me aside on multiple occasions and has told me, Lilburn First Baptist Church will never be what it once was. Is that true? On the one hand, it is. Because the 70s, thank the Lord, are gone. (laughs) So are the 80s and the 90s and the 2000 beginnings of all of that. It will never look like that again. If for no other reason, because we're not wearing leisure suits this morning. Praise be to Jesus. So on the one hand, it won't ever be the same, will it? But on the other hand, that's not really what he was getting at, is it? Can God faithfully work here and now the way he has before? Do we simply need to look back and say, oh, well, it'll never be like it used to be. Oh, it'll never happen again. It could never, you know, God could never work in that way. See, we are in danger of missing the point. The people then and we, the people now, are in danger of missing the point because this is not about a place or a memory that we must gather together and worship and celebrate the living God who sent His Son to redeem and rescue us, to call us out of darkness and into His marvelous light, and His power has never diminished. Not one single moment. The God who was faithful then is the God who is faithful now and will be faithful tomorrow. Don't let the discouraging commentary of the past diminish your present faithfulness. Don't let perceptions of a place determine your expectations of our great God. And don't let nostalgic longings prevent persevering in the mission that God has for us now. Listen to the word of the Lord. Verse 4, yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, 
declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. You see, it's the same message for everybody. He says to the civil leadership, be strong. He says to the religious leaders, be strong. He says to all the people who are gathered there, be strong. It's the same message and the same encouragement because we all need it, even though it's going to look different in each and every one of our lives. It applies nevertheless. We need this kind of encouragement, that as we think about being equipped and being engaged, that your engagement is going to look different than my engagement. The way in which you engage your family with the gospel is going to look different from the way in which I engage my family with the gospel. But we both need the encouragement. Be be strong, don't we? Be strong in the Lord. It's the same word. It's really the same phrasing that you find in Joshua. Be strong and courageous. That this is not a call to drum up from yourself, sort of willing forth some sort of strength. It is a call to rely upon the Lord who is confessed as, the Lord is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Or we could say it along in New Testament terms. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. His grace is sufficient for you, for His power is made perfect in our weakness. Be strong in the Lord because we are talking about the same Lord who demonstrated such might in the Exodus, who demonstrated such power in the conquest, who demonstrated such faithfulness through the exile, who demonstrated such glorious kindness in bringing people back from the exile and the return to the land. It is the same Lord who displayed his majestic might by dying on the cross for our sin and rising from the dead. Same God. Be strong. And that reliance upon his strength is going to take attention and focus and diligence. And God is calling us to that very thing. Because not only does he say, be strong, all you peoples of the land, declares the Lord. What does he say? He says, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Engage, we could use the term. Do the work of the ministry. Plug in and find a place of service. And thanks be to God, there are so many of you who are so faithfully serving and working and have been for years, and you have no idea the great reward that is laid up in front of you for your faithfulness. And what an encouragement it is to all of us to say, let's get involved, let us all engage in the same way because there are so many needs around us. So many reasons to continue to live for His glory, to keep at it, to serve Christ, to go visit the needy, to go care for your loved ones, to sow the seeds of the gospel with those within your own home and under your own roof. But see, sometimes when we hear this word, work, and we hear it as a command, you need to go do this, we need a little motivation too, don't we? Work, why? For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. We must persevere in being engaged because of God's promise. See, He calls us to understand all of our perceptions and conceptions of what He's doing around us on the basis of His own glory. 
Then he tells us to take strength in him. Then he tells us it's time to work. And all of this rests on the basis of the fact that he keeps his word. I am with you. His promise stirs our perseverance. It's the same promise we find throughout the biblical text. In the calling of Moses in the beginning of Exodus that we're reading in our read through the Bible plan. What happens? Moses is like, look, I don't want to do it. God says, I will be with you. As the people are redeemed and sent forth, what's going on? God says, I will be with you. As they're about to take the promised land, what does God say to Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Why? I'm with you. What does Jesus tell his disciples as he gives him the great commission? Say, look, go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. What else does he say? I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's the constant uh, encouragement that we need. It's the promise of the Lord of hosts, the sovereign Lord Almighty, who is victorious. He's with us. It matters that we remember this as we engage our community. You can maybe remember as as a little kid. Maybe you weren't bullied ever, but maybe you were the bully and somebody had to deal with you. But nevertheless, it mattered. If you had somebody with you, right? Somebody who's a little mightier. Gives you a little confidence. Like, what are you walking over here for? Be like, well, I'm with him. Or he's with me, I should say. Oh, all right. See, oftentimes when we think about engaging our culture with the gospel or engaging our friends or engaging our loved ones, we can often feel as though we're being bullied by society, don't we? Knocked around a little. Shamed a little. No. The Lord of hosts is with us. So we can engage enduringly because His promise always endures. This promise that He made here did not go away, will not go away, ever. He's with us. It's not like the promises of all those warranties that you're sad you ever bought. That car warranty where you're like, okay, you know, my car's a little busted up, so I'm going to take it over here, but I'm sure it's under warranty. And you get there, and the person behind the desk is like, sorry, sir, your warranty just expired yesterday. It's going to be retail, right? Your HVAC repairs. You're like, oh, well, this broke a little bit. We'll, we'll just get it fixed, and then it won't be any deal. I just got it. It just feels like I bought it yesterday. So it's certainly under warranty, and then you call and like, No, sir, sorry. Warranty has expired. Listen, the warranty on God's promise never expires. God never says, oh, sorry, this promise has expired. And not only has he said that, but time has proven it true. Look at verse 5. According to the covenant that I made with you, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. He says, according to the covenant, the binding agreement that he had with his people coming out of Egypt. Now, of course, at this point, there's a lot to consider here and a lot that we could even potentially unpack. But we could go right quickly to Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. This says this, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. 
God keeps His promise, so we ought always to persevere in the work. Remember, this is the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. They are gathered together in celebration of God's provision and God keeping His promise. They are gathered together in celebration of something that had taken place nine centuries before their gathering together in that moment. God had still not forgotten. And here we are, far more than nine centuries removed, more like 25 centuries removed from this, 34 centuries removed from the original redemption. And we think, my goodness, has He forgotten? No, His promise still endures. And as we think about our own covenant of redemption and the new covenant in His blood that we will even celebrate in the Lord's Supper here this morning of the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of our sin and that we have life because He died on the cross for us as our substitute, enduring the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin, died and rose again. We are forgiven and alive and at peace and He is, at, he is with us and He is in us. So work because God already did. Work because of what He's already done and work because of His promise. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not that the spirit who convicts concerning righteousness and sin and judgment, that the spirit who guides and leads, who grows and bears fruit in our life, who teaches us, who comforts us, who strengthens us, who gives us wisdom, He remains here and will always be in our midst. We have no resource issues. The Lord of hosts, the God of all creation, is with us and in Christ, in us. That's amazing, isn't it? So fear not. Persevere in being engaged because of God's promise. Fear not. What is it that we're afraid of? Are we afraid that it's never going to be like it used to be? Are we afraid of the power of darkness instead of the power of the gospel of light? Are we afraid of the past? Maybe we're afraid of the statistics of church demise. Maybe we read all those things along the way and it just stirs in our hearts a little bit of fear. Maybe we're afraid of the attractional power of all of the distractions that exist around us that are even distracting us maybe even in this very moment. Maybe we're afraid that people are too broken, too lost, it's too dark, it's too hard. No, fear not. Why? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God who conquered death is with us. His spirit remains in our midst. So with hearts sure of Him, let us look to Him, rejoice in Him, rest in Him, work because of Him, and trust Him for the results. Because in verse 6, we're told quite quickly, and all of a sudden this takes this really attention shift, because it says in verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. That God has his own clock. 
God is so magnificently patient, but God is working according to his own perfect timing. And God is comforting his people with these words. Keep enduring. The time is coming. The time is coming when what? When I will shake. Notice in the last three verses, God says, I will four times. And then when he says, I will shake, when you shake something, we're not talking about just sort of like, you know, tapping on it. It's how some of y'all get a hold of the salt shaker. You know, you're not like doing this number, you're like doing this number. It's like when your money gets stuck in the snack machine and you, you know, or the thing sort of comes halfway out and it's sort of hanging there. You know, you don't just sort of tap on it a little bit. You grab that thing by the top and you start shaking it back and forth because you want your Snickers. Right? We're talking about shaking something. We're talking about cataclysmic, something massive. Not a slovenly nudge. This is a shaking, shaking of the heavens. We're thinking, okay, we can go back to Isaiah 40. We weren't too far removed from that. You're talking about 2,600 trillion miles in any direction. You're talking about the earth and all the, you know, 8 billion people on the earth or the sea and all 332 million cubic miles of water, the land, and all the, you know, 57 million square miles of land. And it sounds cataclysmic. What in the world is he talking about? I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. What is he referring to? Well, praise be to God, we have great clarity in this. Because if you turned in your Bibles, you don't have to, but you can write it down. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, we read this. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may Remain. What is he making reference to? He's making reference to the second coming of Christ. You think this is this is amazing. I mean, we're in the Old Testament, so we're looking sort of through the first coming of Christ, looking all the way to the end. This is astounding, even in its description. Where foundations are laid bare, your life built on anything other than Jesus, will come rattling loose. And that Hebrews 12, 28 makes us even clearer as we make application of this truth. Verse 28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And the question just remains, even as we read this right here, on whom is your life built? Can you say with the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? Is that the confession of your heart this morning? Is that the declaration of your soul? Is that what we're aiming for as we engage people with the gospel? Absolutely. And that God in his grace will oftentimes allow preliminary tremors to get our attention. I remember as a kid, one morning I woke up early on a Saturday 
And I thought, hey, I'm going to go watch a movie while nobody else is awake and they won't bother me. So, you know, I was probably six or seven years old and we were living in Orlando at the time. And so I make my way out the, you know, out to the family room and we had a little VCR and I stick the VCR tape into the machine and it takes it in. And as soon as it drops down, all the windows in the house shake. And I get scared to death. I was like, I just blew up the house. I'm in, my parents are going to kill me, right? So I go running back to my room and I stay there for a couple of hours thinking something really bad happened. And so finally, after a couple of hours, nobody came looking for me. And so I make my way out there. My mom's in the kitchen. She's, you know, getting some things ready and I'm pretending I'm ready for breakfast at that point. And then she looks at me, she's like, did you hear that this morning? And I'm like, oh, no. Here we go. I'm like, hear what? Did you hear that, that when the space shuttle came in for a landing here in Orlando, that the sonic boom went off and it shook everybody's house? And I was like, thank God. That oftentimes there's a rattling that gets our attention, isn't there? You could have told me anything in that moment. Oftentimes God in his mercy will allow a preliminary rattling of your life. Where the windows will shake so that the foundation is shown for what it is. So that you may come to faith in Christ and to know him and have your life built on foundations that cannot ever be shaken. It could be that the storms you're walking through right now, struggling through right now, the difficulties you're walking through right now, that are rattling you to the core. It could be that the gracious God of all creation is calling you to himself today through faith in Jesus Christ. And that as a believer, we can know that when, we, when the dust settles, when it all comes to its conclusion, we stand sure in Christ on a foundation that is absolutely unshakable. Christ will build his church, his unshakable kingdom, so that no matter what may come in this world or in this life or in this election year or in this season of your own life or whatever else the case may be, in Christ we are secure. He has given us those results. Won't we trust him for it? Won't you trust him yourself? And won't you look to see that sown into the lives of those who are around you? Because look at what he says. He says, I'll shake all all nations so that the treasures of the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. On a global scale, and God uses his people equipped with the gospel to go rattle the nations. Even the book of Acts talks about people who are sowing the seed of the gospel as those who have turned the world upside down, right? This is what we're being called to, and that the gospel remains the power of God for salvation. No matter who you are, no matter what your background may be, I will shake all nations, all peoples, all people groups, so that the treasures of the nations shall come in. Now, it's interesting, even that phrasing that's used here, the treasures of the nations. Because on the one hand, it's God is going to 
take people from all over the world and bring him in and all of the things that they treasure are going to be leveraged for the glory of Christ. But in an ultimate sense, the treasure of all nations is Jesus Christ himself. He is the fulfillment of every longing of every people in every place. He is what we need in the forgiveness of our own sin, in peace that passes all understanding, and knowing that our lives are lived for someone's exalted worth and worthiness and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord, whose hope never fails, whose love never ends, who is our King and our priest and our prophet, in whom we have assurance and comfort and redemption and salvation and reconciliation and peace and joy. He is all of that and more. He says, I will shake the nations. I will fill this house with glory because Christ is coming. I will fill the house with glory. Do we trust that he will do that as we scatter the seed of the gospel? As we are equipped to engage the glory that is glory to the Son who as we would sing it in heaven and hear the heavenly cry, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. God is using his gathered people to proclaim this. But see, we have to go out confident of the fact that he bears forth the results. And he does so in the most magnificent way. Because even as we sit here today, he's still filling his house, isn't he? The treasure of all nations is calling you to himself even today. He's calling people to himself today. Is it you? Is God drawing you? Has he convicted you of your sin, giving you a clear understanding that Jesus died in your place, endured the punishment you deserve, and rose again? Are you being called to Christ today? Look at what he's doing here. And he reminds us, look, I don't need all your stuff. He says in verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. He's saying, all the the stuff that you're complaining about is already mine. I don't need you to deliver it. It already belongs to me. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. But it's not the glamour that should capture your attention as we think about the glory of the Lord. It's not the, the beauty of the temple and all of the physical things. That we are not to gauge His glory by worldly measures. Which is why he says the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. The best is yet to come. That's why people were so frustrated with Jesus. Jesus coming into the temple. And they're having a conversation about it. And he's like, "Uh, I'll destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. In John chapter 2, the people look at him and be like, have you lost your mind? Would you know how long it took us to build this thing? How could you even say that? And even the disciples didn't understand until after Jesus rose from the dead that what? He wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about himself. The latter glory shall be greater than the former. Is this our expectation? The glory of worshiping in spirit and truth of people from every tribe, nation, color, and tongue gathered together under the banner of trusting that Jesus died and Jesus rose again. 
thankful for forgiveness, resting in His grace, trusting in His mercy, comforted in His hope, and stirred by His joy in Christ? Are we enjoying now what we will enjoy forever? And trusting the Lord for the results. Inviting people into the hopeful reality of knowing Christ as Savior and Lord. And looking forward with great expectations at all the ways in which He has laid out the opportunities in front of us. See, when we talk about equip and engage, this is not just another class or another thing to do or another book study to learn through or you know, whatever else. This is about seeing what God has laid out in front of us and just acknowledging Ephesians chapter 2. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift of God so that no one may boast, but we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which He has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Where are those good works? They're all over the place right in front of us. That God is teaching us and equipping us to just walk right into normal life with the glory of the gospel and acknowledge the best is yet to come. And in this place there will be peace. So work trusting Him for the results. We who are at war with God in our own sin, Jesus endured all of the hostility, endured the outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin so that all who would repent and believe will have forgiveness and everlasting life. Then when we celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a few moments, we are celebrating the peace that we have with God, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If we can gather around the Lord's table and we can pass a plate down the aisle with physical reminders of a spiritual reality that the body of Christ was broken for us, that His blood was shed for us, that He has saved us for His glory. If we can look around here and look one another in the eye and rejoice with brothers and sisters in Christ and recognize the fact that Christ has not yet come back again, then we have to say the best is yet to come, don't we? That if He's redeemed me and He's redeemed you, what reason? We have such reason for rejoicing together in the peace that has been provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what He has done. Look forward to what He will do. I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. We ought to glorify God with our perseverance and our trust. And see, here this morning, before you can glorify Him with your perseverance, you have to start by glorifying Him with your trust. Have you come to terms with the fact that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? And when we say that, that includes me and that includes you. That without Christ, we're at war with God, deserving of punishment, deserving of punishment from He whose authority we have cast aside and considered as nothing? Do we see that God in love sent His own Son to live in perfect righteousness, to be tempted in every way as we are and yet be without sin, who went to the cross and exchanged Himself for us, that all who would repent and believe would have forgiveness and everlasting life in the fact that Jesus died for us in our place and three days later rose again. Maybe today, before you think about persevering, you need to start by having a moment of trust 
you turn away from your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. Maybe you're here this morning as a believer. And maybe whenever we gather together as brothers and sisters, or maybe whenever we start things off like equip and engage, or maybe whenever we start getting into all the details of ministry, maybe you have that little voice in the back of your head that says, it'll never be like it was. Maybe we need to put that voice to rest and start saying, the best is yet to come. However the Spirit leads in your heart and life this morning, respond in a way that glorifies Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, You are so good to us. Lord, we ask that You would prepare our hearts as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. But Father, that before we do that, Lord, that you would address the matter in our own hearts right now. For any here who have never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, Father, we pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Where they would feel the full weight of the conviction of sin. And in the moment of being broken over the fact of their own sin against you, Father, that they would see your loving kindness and your grace that would meet them in the moment of their brokenness and call them to life through faith in Jesus Christ. Open eyes to see and to know Jesus, Savior, Redeemer, Lord. And God, may we rejoice together today as people in here come to know you for the first time. Father, for all of us in here who are believers, forgive us for defining your glory in terms of our own nostalgia. And Father, stir us to look forward to seeing of all of what you're going to do with great expectation. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his mighty name we pray. Amen.